o'clock, I'm Sean Kennedy. Tonight's headlines. The Department of Justice asks the District Court to put a national security charge in charge of an activist's trial, even though he hasn't been charged under the national security law. A senior mainland official adds his voice to calls for reforms of the city's judiciary. And an inquest hears that police fire tear gas into a car park in Chungkwano around the time a student was found lying inside with head injuries. The Department of Justice is asking the District Court to appoint a judge specially tasked with handling national security cases to take control of the trial of activist Tam Tak Chi, even though he's not been charged under the national security law. Violet Wong has the story. Tam Tak Chi, vice chairman of the People Power Group, faces 14 charges, including sedition charges under a colonial era law and inciting others to join an unauthorized assembly. None of the charges involve the national security law, but still prosecutors say his case may nonetheless involve national security matters and therefore a national security judge is best positioned to oversee his trial. DOJ lawyers told Chief District Judge Justin Koh that if any regular judge presides over cases involving national security matters, the result may be subject to judicial review as the judge may be acting beyond his legal authority. They added that even the decision on whether the case should be handed over to a designated judge must also be made by a judge appointed to handle national security cases. But Judge Kerr rebutted this claim, saying if he were to allow a national security judge to make the decision, it would in effect already be granting the prosecution's request. He asked both the prosecution and the defense to make written submissions on the request, thought to be unprecedented, before the court reconvenes on December the 2nd to make a decision on the matter. Under the new law, judges designated to cases involving the national security law are appointed by the chief executive. A senior mainland official has added his voice to calls for reform of the judiciary in Hong Kong, saying even judicial systems in Western countries have to catch up with the times. As Cecil Wong reports, Shang Xiaoming told an online forum on the basic law that it's time for an overhaul. Pro-establishment figures and pro-Beijing media have repeatedly demanded judicial reform in recent weeks as they accused magistrates of being biased against the police and government and of handing down lenient sentences to people who took part in the social unrest here last year. During a basic law forum, a deputy director of the Hong Kong and Macau Affairs Office, Zhang Xiaoming, gave assurances that reforming the judicial system would not affect its independence. In his speech, Mr. Zhang noted that retired Court of Final Appeal Judge Henry Litton has been calling for an overhaul of the judiciary. The former judge alleges that the SAR's courts have distorted the basic law by applying overseas values that are unsuitable for Hong Kong's situation and that the judiciary has lost Beijing's trust. Mr. Zhang said such a rational voice from a person inside the trade should be valued by the whole of society, in particular, the judiciary and the legal community. But the official did not give any examples of the kind of reforms he would like to see implemented. Mr. Zhang also said last week's disqualification of four of the SAR's pro-democracy lawmakers had set a good precedent. He said people who resist the central government have to be removed from the system. A senior policeman has told an inquest into the death of Charles Locke that riot officers fired tear gas into a multi-storey car park in Chengkwano around about the time this student was discovered lying inside the building with serious head injuries. Maggie Ho reports. 
Senior Inspector Wong Kaolun told the coroner's courts that his team of officers fired multiple rounds of tear gas at several dozen anti-government protesters on the upper floors of the car park at Cheongtak Estate in the early hours of November the 4th. He said the first two rounds were fired at about 12.40 a.m., then three more at eight minutes past one. Two minutes after that, the policeman said his team went into the car park to disperse protesters who had been throwing objects. However, the coroner's officer, Timmy Yib, noted that his claim to have entered the car park at 10 past 1 did not match time stamps on security camera footage, which suggested the officers went in six minutes earlier. But Mr Yib considered that the times of the CCTV footage might not be perfectly accurate, while Mr Wong said he was only going by his own walk. Watch. Speculation has been rife that Chow fell from the third floor of the car park, either while trying to escape tear gas or as he was being chased by riot officers. You're tuned to RTHK. The time is five minutes past 11. The police have arrested two of their own officers after a woman alleged the pair had raped her in a hotel in Mongkok. The force said the two policemen, who were both 22, had been detained while an investigation is carried out by the Kowloon West Regional Headquarters and they were being suspended from duty. Both officers were said to be off duty at the time of the alleged rape. Media reports said the men had met the woman at a bar before they went to the hotel together. The police said they attach great importance to the conduct of staff and deal strictly with any illegal acts. The group that organises Hong Kong's annual June 4th candlelight vigil has dismissed allegations that it's been violating the national security law by colluding with foreign forces. Mainland scholar Tian Fei Long had also accused the Hong Kong Alliance in support of patriotic democratic movements of China of participating in subversive political activities in the name of democracy and patriotism. But Alliance Vice Chairman Albert Ho says his group won't be bullied into submission by baseless claims. I think um, the risk has become enhanced. And of course, they would like to see that uh, many people, including the activists, will be scared off and then stay away from what they have been engaged in. But again, I would like to reiterate that I myself and together with many of my colleagues, we continue to stand firm on our principles and we continue to fight for what we believe in. Former Chief Executive Si Wailong has appeared to compare young Hong Kongers taking part in anti-government protests to Islamic terrorists, suggesting they could be brainwashed to the extent they would be willing to slaughter people in the streets. Wang Ting has more. In an exclusive interview with RTHK, Mr Leung says it can't be normal that hundreds of under-18s were arrested during the territory's recent social unrest, and he believes teachers have been radicalising them. He suggests that Hong Kong children could even be groomed to carry out atrocities similar to those perpetrated by terrorists abroad. In Europe recently, we saw the scary incident in which a person was beheaded. Terrorists are not born like that, he says. They have been brainwashed. In Hong Kong, are the local young people immune to that, to that sort of radicalization? I don't think so, Mr. Lang says. He also tells RTHK that he has no plans at the moment to put himself forward for the post of chief executive again. He says he's more keen to help hold teachers accountable for their brainwashing of students. And he's considering launching legal action against schools he suspects are breaching the national security law with some of their lessons. 
The condition of one of the victims of Sunday's deadly fire at a Jordan tenement building has deteriorated, meaning there are now eight people in critical condition. Seven people died in the blaze, including two students and their fathers. Health officials say they're worried that a fourth wave of COVID-19 infections is looming as Hong Kong continues to report new cases with no clear infection source. Officials confirmed one untraceable local case today, along with three imported infections. Here's Dr. Chuang Shukwan from the Centre for Health Protection. We observe a slight increase in number of unknown cases, local cases, in the past one or two weeks. So we are still observing, but we are fear that the fourth wave is depending, is coming. But uh, we try to do all we can to try to prevent and stop it becomes increasing and, and become a really a fourth wave. The untraceable case involves a construction worker. An indoor rest area at the construction site where he worked has been disinfected and 40 colleagues have been offered free COVID tests. Dr Chuang says they can only wait and hope the patient didn't infect his colleagues in the rest area. This is a risky place that uh, we need to pay attention. So once we have a confirmed case, we usually ask them to thoroughly disinfect those places. But we don't know whether there's actually uh, contamination happened until we have another case. Health officials have advised seven primary schools and two special schools to suspend in-person classes and activities for at least seven days following fresh upper respiratory tract infection outbreaks. The Centre for Health Protection says COVID tests will be provided to all students and staff as a precaution. All kindergartens and childcare centres have been closed since Saturday for a mandatory two-week break following a series of respiratory infections across the territory. A University of Hong Kong professor on trial for the killing of his wife two years ago has denied that he intended to kill her in her sleep. Chang Ki Chung, sorry, Chung Ki Chung has pleaded not guilty to murder, but admitted manslaughter after an argument with her. Francis Sit has more. The defendant previously told the High Court that he could not recall what happened from the moment he wrapped electrical wires around his wife's neck to her losing consciousness. The prosecution suggests that the 56-year-old did remember, saying he intended to kill her and that she did not put up much resistance because she was sleeping. The former associate professor of mechanical engineering denied those claims, stressing that his wife was still awake when he strangled her. The defendant, however, told the court that he did not try to check his wife's pulse or breathing afterwards, nor did he try to find a pair of pliers in his living room to cut open the wires around her neck. He said he already concluded his wife was dead and did not go get the tools for fear of waking up his sister-in-law and exposing the death. He also detailed how he acted normal and went on with his daily life after the killing, driving his son to work and gathering with friends. The trial continues. Hong Kong's unemployment rate has stayed at a 16-year high of 6.4%. New provisional figures for the last three-month period show the underemployment rate also remained unchanged at 3.8%. The government says the situation in the retail accommodation and food services sectors improved slightly, but still stood at more than 11%. It says unemployment in the transport sector worsened to a 17-year high of 6.2%. Labour Secretary Lord Chi Kwong says he expects employers to remain cautious about hiring new staff as the pandemic continues to cloud the economic outlook. 
Riot police in Bangkok have clashed with pro-democracy protesters calling for reforms to Thailand's monarchy and the military-backed government. It comes as as lawmakers were debating proposed changes to the constitution following months of anti-government protests. The BBC's Jonathan Head was among the protesters in Bangkok. Well, these protesters are now trying to pull away at this concrete barricade to make a way through... And they are spraying water cannon. It's laced with chemicals, so you can really smell the tear gas in it. They've been using this throughout today. They're trying to get people out of the way. At least protesters want to get through to Parliament because that's where the reforms they're demanding are supposed to be discussed. They're worried that in Parliament, dominated by the military-backed party, their reforms are just going to be swept aside. That's why they're staying put. An Iranian government spokesman has said any U.S. attack against Iran would face a crushing response after it was reported that President Trump contemplated a strike against Iran's main nuclear site last week. The comments by Ali Rabi'i follow a report by the New York Times that Mr. Trump asked his senior national security aides to brief him about the options and scenarios with regard to an attack on Iran. He decided not to proceed because of the risk of broader conflict in the Middle East. The United Nations Refugee Agency says a full-scale humanitarian crisis is unfolding in Ethiopia almost two weeks after fighting began in the northern region of Tigray. The UN fears they may be just a fraction of those displaced in Tigray. It says it's on standby to provide assistance as soon as the security situation allowed access to the region. Dana Hughes is from the UNHCR office in Nairobi, which is monitoring developments closely. More than 27,000 Ethiopians have fled the border to Sudan since the beginning of this conflict. We're looking at an average of 4,000 a day since November 10th. This is a scale that this region hasn't seen in decades. And the head of the International Olympic Committee, Thomas Back, has said, I'm sorry, Batch has said athletes will not have to be vaccinated against COVID-19 in order to take part in the Tokyo Games next year. Speaking during inspection, I'm sorry, speaking during an inspection of the new Olympic Stadium there, Mr. Batch said forcing athletes to get vaccinated would be a step too far. But he said the IOC would appeal to all those coming to the Games to have a vaccination to show respect for other competitors and to the host country. And a reminder of our top stories tonight. The Department of Justice asks the District Court to put a national security judge, judge in charge of an activist trial, even though he hasn't been charged under the national security law. A senior mainland official adds his voice to calls for reform of the city's judiciary. And an inquest hears that police fired tear gas into a car park in Chankwano around the time a student was found lying inside with head injuries. The news from RTHK. RTHK, Radio 3. It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's News Wrap programme. The group that organises Hong Kong's annual June 4th candlelight vigil has dismissed allegations that it's been violating the national security law by colluding with foreign forces. Mainland scholar Tian Fei Long had also accused the Hong Kong Alliance in support of patriotic democratic movements of China of participating in subversive political activities in the name of democracy and patriotism. 
But Alliance Vice Chairman Albert Ho told RTHK's Anna-Marie Evans his group won't be bullied into submission by baseless claims. Well, I'm astonished to hear the general accusation against the Hong Kong Alliance. In fact, uh, we have been uh, engaged in our activities um, um, in the last three decades uh, in a peaceful, rational and nonviolent manner. Uh, we have always advocated a democratic China. We have advocated uh, a peaceful transformation um, from one-party dictatorship to a multi-party system. That is what we believe in. Hong Kong is an open and pluralistic society, and I, I can hardly understand how all these lawful activities have suddenly uh, been uh, stigmatized and then uh, be turned into something uh, that is uh, illegal and constitute an offense against national security. It is totally incomprehensible. Now, he accused the alliance of taking in overseas funding. So could that be interpreted as collusion with foreign forces? No. Uh, so the last many years, we have um, uh, our fundings uh, collected from individual owners, uh, mainly on June 4th uh, evening, during, uh, before the candlelight vigil. It's all in uh, small donations, you know, thousands of tens of thousands of small donations. Even recently, when we had um, uh, um, collect some uh, uh, fundraising uh, concerning the uh, construction of a, a virtual mu- museum, there have been some, you know, uh, uh, fundings from um, uh, residents outside Hong Kong. But again, these are from individuals. These are small donations. So, you know, that is all along what what we have been abiding by. Uh, you know, the principle that uh, uh, we are. And, uh, and non-governmental organisation, we uh, would continue to uh, to embark on uh, uh, open activities with the support of ordinary individual citizens and without any support from any government. He also alleged that the alliance has triggered anti-China sentiment by displaying untrue and provocative information at your June 4th museum. So what's your response to that? Well, that is a matter of perspective. I think if there's such an accusation, I would only plead guilty to the charge that we speak truth to power. Okay? I think uh, in the eyes of those uh, who take power as the truth, then of course, you know, uh, there are many things that we have been speaking would violate, you know, the, uh, the, um, uh, the golden rules of, the, of, the, of those who are in power. But, uh, you know, if there, we are guilty of anything, then we must be guilty of, you know, offending those in power because we speak the truth. So do you feel that his remarks might deter your group from, uh, you know, operating moving forward or that, that you might be forced to operate differently? So will, will you withdraw slogans that call for an end to one party rule and so on? My answer is no. We will continue... Um, to uh, fight for what we believe in. But again, uh, I will reiterate that we will abide by the principle of uh, nonviolence. Uh, 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 we will conduct activities in a peaceful and rational manner. Uh, there may be an occasion where because of very unreasonable restriction, uh, which might force us to act, uh, you know, uh, um, um, uh, occasionally outside the limit of certain unreasonable restraint. And then we might possibly be be facing 
unreasonable prosecution. And precisely for this reason, I am now facing, you know, um, over a dozen charges for organizing uh, what they call unauthorized assemblies. But having said that, uh, we would continue to fight for what we believe in, as we have been doing in the last 30 years. We understand that those in power is trying to intimidate uh, ordinary citizens, trying to intimidate the civil society, and trying to stop us from um, from advocating what we believe in. But I think um, um, there are many people like me who would not be scared of. And we will continue to engage in this peaceful movement to fight and advocate what we believe in. Are you expecting the police to take action against your group in light of Mr Tian's comments? Uh, it's possible. I think um, the risk has become enhanced. Uh, and of course, you know, um, 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 they would like to see that, uh, uh, that uh, many people, including the activities, uh, including the, activity, uh, the activists, will be scared off and then uh, stay away uh, from what they have been engaged in. But uh, uh, again, I would like to reiterate for, uh, that uh, I myself and together with many of my colleagues, we continue to stand firm on our principles and we continue to fight for what we live in. A social worker helping the Nepali community come to terms with the deaths of seven of its members in Sunday's fire in Jordan says the dangerous and derelict conditions of old tenement blocks in the area is well known. But Jeffrey Andrews says the government has taken little action to try to improve them or ensure they're safe. He spoke to Mike weeks a day after the chief executive ordered a thorough investigation into the killer blaze. This is not something that's that's new. I mean, you know, ethnic minorities have always been below the poverty line and, and have been living in such derelict conditions for years. And it's sad that it's um, taken this tragedy for, I hope, authorities to wake up because, you know, we can't have any more of these incidents happening. Vincent Cheng, the DAB lawmaker, said it's very difficult for the authorities to check such unlicensed restaurants. Would you think that's the case? Well, I don't think so. I mean, the government needs to, to, to get its act together. I think, you know, this is, this is not something new. I mean, there has been such poor living conditions in many of these, in, in Yao Chimong, in, in Sham Shui Po, and you don't see authorities take much action. And, you know, I hope that this fire woke, woke them up because there are still many more such places around Hong Kong. So I, I really feel that they should have the, the authority, they should have the resources and the, and the political will to, to make changes. This is an international city. We should not have a building in such a condition. And then you look 10 minutes away from there, you have this beautiful residence in, in Elements in Austin. It, it's just unbelievable in a city like this. What sort of special problems do these kind of old tenements present in terms of fire safety? Well, you know, like I said, I've been many, uh, you know, I do a lot of home visits, especially with my, for example, refugee and ethnic minority communities. Uh, there is, there's no security, there's nothing, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a hazard for children. Um, and then, of course, uh, what's happening these days with even, uh, you know, again, common to Hong Kongers is, you know, one flat can be turned into subdivided units, and then you've got the electrical units and and, and whatnot. And it's, it's, you know, how can people live like that? But who monitors these things? The agents don't care. The landlords hand them over to the agents, and then, you know, it's, it's, it's huge communication gaps. And then as they minorities, because of their lack of choices, and if they go and 
find rent anywhere else. They they can't. So they they have to settle for for such places. Okay, you said you'd like to see the government take action. What sort of action would you like to see? Well, first and foremost, I think that I think there should be you know a, a standard of, of what a housing should look like in such even if it's in such old buildings. You know, I, I don't. I think even if there are subdivided units, they have to be monitored better. There needs to be more often checks or, or reports from the landlords or the, even the agents, but nothing. There's no monitoring whatsoever. Uh, I think that needs to start now with all the old buildings in Hong Kong. The Philippines is counting the cost of Typhoon Ulysses, also known as Vamco, which struck a week ago. The storm caused the country's worst flooding in decades and many areas remain submerged. The death toll has also been rising with the latest count reaching 67 and many are still missing. Robert Kaufman, the Philippines Head of Country Office for the International Federation of Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies, spoke to the BBC's Lawrence Pollard. The population has really been battered by successive storms. And not only is each one a tragedy in and of itself, but there's a compounding effect that each one has on the uh, on the one that succeeds it, uh, where the water tables get high, the rivers are, uh, are too high, and the dams are at uh, risk of breaking. So right now, uh, we're finishing the search and rescue part of the operation and moving up into a lot of recovery and cleanup. Uh, the area in the north, of Luzon in the Philippines is uh, relatively remote. It's a long drive. It's hard to get to. And um, uh, people now, uh, thankfully, uh, have uh, help on uh, on hand, both uh, from the government as well as the Philippines Red Cross. Uh, I mean, presumably, with being hit one after another, and I mentioned 21 cyclones, this is the 21st uh, just this year. Tell us more about the compounding effect, because it doesn't give you time to recover from the one before. How can people repair the damage? How do people, for example... You know, grow crops and that kind of thing if they're just being hit on a repeated basis. Yeah, that's exactly right. It really is heartbreaking to watch uh, such a resilient people who after each storm, you can find them outside their house, uh, cleaning up, uh, swiping, uh, wiping away debris, trying to rebuild. And then, for example, after Super Typhoon Goni, only a week later, another typhoon came and uh, and hit them again. You know, today the uh, Federation launched the World Disasters Report called uh, Come High Heat or High Water, and it has a quote in there that says, People will be facing successive and concurrent crises and have little time to recover. And it's so prescient, the uh, the report and the challenges that people are facing. I think that part of what we have to do is protect hope. And we protect hope by making sure that people are prepared and that they're not left alone to recover from these crises. Yeah. Yeah. We're providing services immediately uh, when it's needed. Uh, anecdotally, is the impression that the weather is getting worse in terms of the repeat hits from typhoons one after another. Is is this something that you wouldn't have seen 10 years ago or is it something that sadly people have to get used to every so often? Yeah, and it's not anecdotal. There's evidence that shows climate change is real. The frequency and severity of major weather systems uh, is increasing. Uh, there, there are the numbers to prove it. So we just need to anticipate. We need to be smart enough to build back better and to make sure that people are prepared. Now, right now, uh, in the Philippines, many lives were saved. Oh, of course, any single death is a horrible tragedy and uh, one too many, but many lives were 
attractions, preemptive evacuations, uh, and um, and educating people. Relations between Beijing and London have been tense for a while, particularly over Hong Kong. But there's been a rare outbreak of public warmth, at least on mainland social media platforms, after the UK's new senior diplomat for Chongqing jumped into a river to save a drowning student. Footage filmed by the town of Jongling. Conscious. Deep water. Consul General for Chongqing, who was on his first trip outside the city, sprung into action. Really, there was not a lot of time to do anything other than to get in. So, not not a big river, so you know it was quite it's, it's quite small. So it was quite easy to jump in, and I got to her very quickly, and I was able to turn her over. But you know she wasn't breathing uh, when I turned her over, and uh, she seemed to be unconscious. But I started swimming to the side with her, and others were helping, throwing in the sort of life buoys and giving helping hands. And then just as we reached the side, she did start breathing, which was a great relief to everybody. Reports say the student who is from Wuhan and attends Chongqing University was recovering slowly and has invited Mr Ellison to dinner with her family. There's been widespread praise for Mr Ellison on social media. Britain's Foreign Minister Dominic Raab says he's very proud of Mr Ellison, whose bravery and commitment demonstrates the very best of British diplomats around the world. China's ambassador to the UK, Liu Xiaoming, wrote that Mr. Ellison's name will be remembered not only in Chongqing, but around China, and his act of heroism and kindness will be much told and far spread. There was also praise for Mr. Ellison from Chinese social media users who called him a hero, a role model, and someone who is worthy of admiration. Those stories were part of the News Wrap program, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. In the digital world, your account login and personal information are just like the keys to your home. Accessing your bank account via an unknown Wi-Fi or a public computer is like giving away your home keys. And stolen account and personal information can be used by others. Always protect your digital keys. Change your password regularly. Keep your personal digital keys safe. The above information is provided by the Hong Kong Monetary Authority. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. January to December, we'll have moments to It's that time again. Time to relax and enjoy nostalgia. Nostalgia with Ray Codero all the way until 1 a.m.